Hello and welcome to another episode of Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin, here with the master of all things D&D, the master of all things role-playing games, and soon the master of all things Patreon, Teo Sabadilla. I don't don't even know how to say that because it's filled with half-truths and untruths, but... uh... Thank you. That's very kind. I, I, <laughs> how are you, full, how are you full, doing, Sean? I went into full marketing mode there for a second. Full marketing. <laughs> you did the full marketing. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I was I was one with my snowblower uh, this, earlier today. So my brain is full of like snow and the exhaust from the snowblower. Uh, mm. So it's it's a it's a pretty bad mixture of stuff that's going to turn into a pretty interesting podcast, I would say. Well, I hope so. Uh, I'm surrounded by fog. Uh, so, uh, in this occluded world that I'm in, uh, it's also Martin Luther King day when we're recording and I made Martin Luther King day pancakes to celebrate for my family. They were all asleep when I made them, but Uh, I said, here, have them. I'm going to go record a podcast. And they were, there was much rejoicing. Is that a Martin Luther King day tradition there, uh, in the Abadie household? I mean, maybe I use any excuse for making pancakes, pancakes, but, uh, it's how I celebrate things. I mean, that's really the truth of it. How do you... How do you celebrate Martin Luther King Eve Day? <laughs> I mean, really more the question. More, more pancakes. Excellent. Well, we, we have a show to do, apparently. So we should probably do that thing. Uh, we're going to start with a comment from one of our listeners, uh, Planagia, uh, who asks, as you complete Fizzbands, I'd love it if you went back through some of your favorite adventures from other editions, talking about their design, what made them great, and how you'd update them for 5e. And I think that is an absolutely wonderful idea. I would love to do that. Uh, and maybe we can do that as a way to get, talk about adventure design and old design and old rules and new rules and, and spawn yeah. a lot of good talk. That could be really cool. I like that idea. Yep. And uh, well, just today... Yeah. Uh, I was looking at a post that was looking back on Lost Tomb of Martek and one of my old favorite adventures. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, this is a really neat topic. I could go on forever right now. Exactly. We could we could do a whole show right now, but we are still in the middle of looking at Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons. Uh, so, But before we get to part nine of our look at Fizzband's, we're going to get into the news of the week. Uh, news bit one. Next week, we will see the D&D Rules Expansion gift set released. Wow. That includes Xanathar's Guide to Everything, Tasha's Cauldron of Dragons, and the new shiny Monsters of the Multiverse. Uh, that gift set also in- includes a Dungeon Master screen and a slipcase. Now, if you already have Xanathar's Guide and Tasha's Cauldron, you probably do not have Monsters of the Multiverse yet. Uh, and because that's new, uh, what does that book contain? It contains over 30 updated player character races and 250 redesigned monsters and stat blocks. Oh, this is a fascinating yeah. thing. Uh, uh, first, I got to say, speaking of slipcase, you did a slip where you called it Tasha's Cauldron of Dragons. And now uh, I kind of want to see a crossover like that. There you go. Uh, but um, yeah, so it's. This was clearly a product intended to release in December, which then for your holiday pleasure would have been two books you already have that have been slightly updated, uh, as we've seen in the errata. Mm -hmm. And then um, you would get this new book and it would all be in a slipcase. 
in two different versions because right. crazy times. Um, and, and I think that made a lot more sense. Now that it's coming in January, it feels a little bit like you're paying a tax of two books to get one new book, which yeah. is a re, you know, like it's hard to say how much it's going to be new versus redesign. But I mean, you're a designer. I'm a designer. It's actually almost better this way because I'm like, ooh, what did they mess with? And yeah. how can we read the tea leaves for where this 5.5 edition in 2024 is going to come out? You know, what does this tell us, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting topic. And, you know, if even if you're not a designer and you're just in it for the books uh, or just in, in it for the stat blocks, you've got all those redesigned monsters. And, of course, the delta between what it was and what it is is a huge topic. Um, hopefully everything will be updated on uh, D&D Beyond, which is where I partake of most of my D&D content at this point. Uh, but I, I use that there. heavily, but but I read the paper first, uh, and it's how I like to read and prepare things. But um, but I did I did not look at it, but I heard that there's been a leak already mm-hmm. of various racial features, and that's already got everybody a buzz. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to to talk about all this once it comes out. Yep, we will uh, be taking a deep look at that. I'm sure once it is available. Um, if you're just looking to play some D&D, this coming weekend is the January virtual D&D weekend. That's January 21st through 23rd. Um, if you go to yawningportal.dnd.wizards.com, you can sign up to play some some games. Yeah, very cool. Um, there were a couple of DMs that I'm like, oh, those are good DMs. I'm going to retweet that they've got tables available. And then by the time I went to retweet, they didn't have any tables available. So right. it looks like the uh, virtual D&D weekends are still going very, very strong. Mm-hmm. But there are usually a couple of tables you can slip into. So even when you hear this, you can probably pull up that yawningportal.dnd.wizards.com, yep. find yourself a game, jump in and have fun. Yep. Now we will get to the critical role portion of our news because there's lots of new and exciting stuff. Uh, if you want to get into the setting of criti- the critical role game, the Taldoray Reborn book is now out as of January 18th. So as of our recording, it'll be out tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, it is being sold via the critical role shops and stores part of the Darrington Press Guild Network, and then it will also be available at local game stores and online retailers. There's a premium edition available from Beetle and Grimm's, from the Beetle and Grimm store, and you can also get things like free wallpapers with art from the book. Uh, You can get that at DarringtonPress.com. You can find all that. I find this fascinating because, you know, this, the original version of this book was created with Green Ronin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it did okay. Right. Uh, when that relationship ended, which is always just telling that it was ended rather than just, hey, please keep reprinting this. Mm-hmm. You know, they made their own. And even though they had done a book with Wizards, they did it themselves through their kind of new uh, Darrington Press Group. So... You know, this is a great way for Critical Role to assess how this book does, selling it the way they are selling it on their right. own, mm-hmm. you know, with their limited compared to D&D distribution capacity right. and see how it how it compares to then the next book that's going to come out, which will be with Wizards. So that's it's very interesting and very smart of them to do this. And it's right before their Amazon show comes out. Right. Yep. So Yeah. 
Um, that's that's the next bit of news, actually, is the Legend of Vox Machina premieres next week. So you've been waiting for a new D&D cartoon your whole life? Well, I guess this counts. Uh, it is a cartoon based on a D&D campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, this series from Critical Role premieres on Amazon Prime Video on January 28th. Did you watch the trailer by any chance? I did watch the trailer. Yeah. I did too. I thought it was fine, kind of graphic wise, fun wise. That was all good. It did a whole bunch of swearing, um, which is, you know, what they've always said they would do. They said it in the Kickstarter and everything, uh, which is not what I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I totally get it, but it's not what I really want in a cartoon. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure I'll still, and well, it's on Amazon, so I don't have Amazon, so maybe I won't be watching this, but if I did have access to this thing, I'm sure I would have end up watching it anyway. Yep. And not only would you have been able to watch one season, you would be able to watch two seasons because as it, as it has right. been reported, uh, they have already, Amazon has already ordered a second season. So we will get the first 12 episode season and then a second 12 episode season. And you can watch the trailer that Teos was talking about on YouTube. Um, I'm sure if you just type in the legend of Vox Machina, you will be, uh, You'll be able to see that. And, and we're going to be watching this closely because it's yeah. going to, this is, this can lead to huge growth. Right. This is, this is those, one of those deals and the news we're about to say sort of plays into all this. This is where we're seeing something that we, we know a lot of people have ridden the backs of D and D to gain popularity. This is one of those times where this may be something that surpasses D and D and yeah. how Darrington press, press slash critical role uses this uh, and their path forward can be very telling. And that leads to Darrington Press's hiring a game designer and project manager. Um, they posted this position as someone, quote, who will oversee the development of multiple Darrington Press game projects from concept to delivery. Uh, you can find this on linkedin.com slash jobs. Uh, the individual should have prior experience in bringing physical products from concept to shelf, as well as exhibit strong communication skills. Preference will be given to individuals who have experience in publishing and tabletop gaming space. Uh, in the tabletop you know, gaming space. They should be confident talking with contractors and leading a team through issues. Uh, so yeah, I could keep going, but basically it's like, hey, be a game designer and project manager. But but it's a lot. I mean, when I look at this, I, I, I kind of wanted to say, well, this should be called producer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, project manager works because there's a lot of like managerial stuff and, and, and contractors and things. But but it's a lot. I'm like, wow, this is this is a big job. Like this is this is yeah. more of a job than a position tends to be. And I'm curious to how that'll end up but i mean they're a smaller company so there there is a little more of a call for a jack of all trades type thing but they're asking a lot here right they're asking for someone who isn't just a designer but who can do this kind of management this kind of working negotiating that's a lot yeah i mean at a at a i would i don't even want to say large company at a company a game design company that has three or four projects going this is like three different jobs Right. There's the lead designer who is in charge of making sure that the product itself gets through the process. There's the project manager who oversees all aspects of the project. And then there's the 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 producer who who makes sure everything's flowing uh, 
in a different way than a project manager does. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's an interesting concept. Uh, no yeah. salary range is given, but it's just telling that they are, they are at that point in their company's yeah. uh, lifespan, I guess. Oh, and I, evolution. I'm sure a lot of people are applying to this. Uh, oh, it has yeah. medical insurance, vision, dental, 401k. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's a, and it's I, a real I imagine job. the salary is decent. I, I yeah. would have to expect that critical role and daring to press are in a position where they can do that and would want to do that. Right, and um, I, but yeah, I, I assume they're in LA uh, as yeah. well, so that would you know, be a, a, a big move <laughs> so, for for so anyone. They have to pay a million dollars to cover exactly. your rent. Exactly, just a million. Yes, no, it's not Manhattan, but it's close. It's uh, so the, you know, that's there. Uh, the link to it is in our show notes or it's just on linkedin.com slash jobs if you'd look at Daring to Press. So whew, that was a uh, that was quite the critical role section of news. So let's get into the Wizards of the Coast uh, section of news, which is we were talking about all the jobs that they were hiring for. Well, mm-hmm. add one to the list. You want to lead us through this one? So this is for an associate producer to support the localization efforts of D&D. And a lot of times we've seen these jobs that, that aren't very specific as to what you're doing. It's just, you know, be part of the D&D team, excitement, dragons. Uh, this is really focused on localization, which means getting the D&D books that we know and love in the U.S. to other areas in those appropriate languages. Mm-hmm. And you get to run the production of the localized releases. You ensure that there's global alignment across various teams. You're working the translation and supply chain teams. You're identifying and eliminating choke points, working to resolve release schedules. And, and the way this was worded, it was very clear to me, something that we've talked about on the show. This is hard, mm. right? We've said this, like making a book in English and laying it out and all of that and getting it ready for printing so that it hits a certain date. But also doing that in Spanish and German and Japanese and Chinese and Korean, that's exceedingly hard. And to then somehow get it to be in every game store on the same day is quite the challenge. So this mm-hmm. is this is a very special person. Uh, and I'm, I'm, inter- I'm surprised it has the title of associate because this yeah. is a rough job. Like this is the kind of job that, that um, you know, it's the kind of things that like tough tasks that a lot of people that I look up to in my day job they're capable of doing these kinds of things because they're so challenging, right? Right, right. I mean, any of these jobs, game design, the the one we talked about, project management, not just at game design companies, but any company in the in the landscape that we're in now with COVID, with with you know all the issues with the world, communication, uh, yeah. logistics, it's. It's. I'm surprised anything ever gets made ever. <laughs> it's true. The the, it's true. the the way things go, and so you know, Godspeed to to the people yeah. that that get these jobs because you know we're sitting here waiting for our cool game stuff. Yeah. And uh, you know, we we want you to succeed, so we get our cool game yeah. stuff. Well, and you know what I didn't see in this job. So, like when I think about this job, there are a number of people that I uh, interact with that are Spanish speaking, because that's my lens, my bias. Uh, and I think, Ooh, I wonder if they would take on this job. But then I think like what I really want that person that I know to do is not just this part, but also rethink how products go to other countries and what kinds mm-hmm. of products go to other countries. Cause different countries have different mm-hmm. desires. And I was just speaking to some folks in Spanish the other day about this. 
about the different interests that people in Latin America have mm -hmm. and, and, and the different budgets and all that, where maybe it's not a $50 book that you want to sell, that you want to sell something kind of different. Right. And I'd love to have seen that part to this job, but hey, you know, I don't know if Wizards is listening, so maybe <laughs> we're just, maybe I'm just saying it for no reason at all. But, but I think that there's there is that supply chain type thing and that alignment of schedule thing, and there's also the what do we make yeah. for different audiences globally, and the the way that Cthulhu has been huge in Japan, and it's not because of the existence of a sixty dollar rule book. But instead, it's because of a transcription of a live stream, right? So you, right. you just you have to think differently and experiment to really succeed in other countries. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd be curious if that ends up being part of the job. Yeah. Right. From the business side of things to the fiction side of things, there was <laughs> an interview uh, on the Dragonlance Saga YouTube channel with Margaret Weiss, who provided information uh, about not only the the new novel that she is publishing, uh, in Dragonlance, but also some other tidbits that, that fell. Uh, thank you to Chris uh, at Spoon BK for Spoon. That, that's a, that's four O's uh, for sharing this with us. So uh, what did what did Ms. Weiss have to say? A lot. It was a pretty surprisingly candid talk, uh, and it's a long talk. Um, so she confirmed that they licensed the right to publish novels from Wizards of the Coast, which we'd heard. Um, and so they, you know, are are operating somewhat independently as this licensing partner to create their own novels in accordance with what Wizards approves, basically. Right. And then she says that she believes Wizards of the Coast is working on a 5e version of the Dragonlance setting. However... Wizards of the Coast will be making some changes and that they agreed, Wizards and uh, Margaret Wace and, and Hickman, um, that we would call that what um, existed before is classic and what Wace and Hickman, which is what is Wace and Hickman used to write these new novels, so basing it on classic, mm -hmm. but that what Wizards is doing is working on what they called new Dragonlance. Right. And they would do that without interacting with Weiss and Hickman. So it's like okay. the novels are being written based on classic, but Wizards is out there creating a 5e version that is new mm -hmm. and different. Uh, that's fascinating. Like, yeah. wow. Didn't you sign NDAs? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently apparently not uh, for that level of thing. Yeah, that's, that's some interesting stuff. And it sort of makes sense. Uh, in in this realm, it if if it comes off without too many hitches, we'll we'll call it a victory. Um, but it makes sense in in the sense that you know Dragonlance originated with you know Margaret and Tracy, right? And so Wizards doesn't want to upset them or their fans, right? Who, as we all know, fans can get very volatile, and they can uh, you know they can fall in love with the creators. It, even if the creators, and I'm not, not saying that in this case, but even if the creators aren't putting out the best products, fans still want that. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, Wizards dodges a bullet here, I think, by saying, you write your novels. We're sort of going to wash our hands of, of it for the most mm -hmm. part. We're going to work on this new stuff, which we're going to own. You don't have to worry about anything that we're doing. We don't have to worry about anything you're doing. And hopefully all fans are going to be happy in the long run. 
Yeah. And, and that, that assumes that they actually are working on a fifth edition version of Dragonlance because they, they could have just said, we don't want stuff from your novels to be in anything that we create going forward. And that could have been construed as they, they are working on something, which is maybe the yeah, case, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, on one hand, I want to say, well, if you were launching a new Dragonlance, wouldn't you want novels to accompany it? But, but yeah, they've obviously taken the, the the approach that you've mentioned and sort of said, well, the novels are the novels. Have fun with that, but we're going to do something else. And and it may be, I mean, th- there is clearly a lot of history here that wizards may not want. I mean, like uh, Weiss had the the license to make, um, you know, Dragonlance for a while during. Yeah. What was it third or fourth third, edition? Third edition, yeah. And and so they they made a whole series of books, you know. That I mean, we're not super popular, but they they were they were out there, and Dragonlance was sort of alive through that. Yeah. Uh, there was everything that happened with the Fifth Age. So the the book uh, she says takes place in a more modern timeline after the passing of Raceland, after the War of the Lance, before the Fifth Age. Um, and the original title was Tasselhoff's Wife, is what I believe. Okay. Now called Dragons of Deceit. She said it was sort of a working title, but but clear we're going to get to see some of that angle of Tasselhoff's life, and yeah, and and there is time travel as we've said before. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, and and if when we get Dragonlance and Five E, that'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see how they approach it. I, I've always wondered about how you touch that properly for a five for for any new yeah. edition experience. Yeah. So again, you can find that on the Dragonlance Saga YouTube channel. We go from things that you can watch online to things that you can no longer watch <laughs> online. That was pretty smooth, wasn't it, Tass? Yeah, I'm, Ter- I'm crying. Terribly. Uh, so Gen Con is ending their live stream efforts. Uh, they've been running Gen Con TV, streaming shows on Twitch, including... You know, board game news and reviews, live plays, interviews with Peter Atkinson, and m- much more. Um, they finally announced on Twitter and their own site that the show would end as of January 31st. They're also going to be shutting down their Discord server and opening it up only for uh, for their summer shows. Yeah. So, yeah, this is sort of I, – I it's sad for the people that you know were really into it. I can't say I'm surprised because uh, you know the, what, these efforts. You say that? These efforts take a lot of energy, hmm. and a lot of energy also equates to a lot of money. You have to, you know, assuming that you're paying people to make these shows, yeah. to do these shows, and as far as I know, Gen Con makes their money in August in. Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, by selling lots of tickets to an event <laughs> that probably they didn't sell a lot of tickets to last year, comparatively yeah. speaking. So what do you do? You mm-hmm. you shut off all these periphery sorts of things. Yeah. Um, well, and maybe this is an example of that a lot of people are hunting for that critical role type success. And right now there's only one company that's ever hit it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and and nobody seems to know how you emulate that. You see a lot of attempts. Yeah. Um, or to be something like, say, G4, which has its own, has had its own history of failures, you know, to try to be some a, a network, basically. 
Right. And that is also exceedingly hard. And it, it's hard to know what audiences want and how to, to capture them beyond a certain scale, right? And, and I think Gen Con was trying to operate at that large scale. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess I, what I make most of this is that it just doesn't seem easy to do that scale. Like launching a bunch of shows doesn't mm -hmm. mean a bunch of people show up. Right. And, and that's, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a lightning in a bottle aspect of a lot of success everywhere in anything, especially mm -hmm. in the RPG space that's sort of limited to begin with that, you know, critical role found, uh, Penny Arcade found in addition to a lot of other things, uh, you know, they, they, they have their webcomic, they have their charity, they have a bunch of other things. So, you know, the success yeah. of Acquisitions Incorporated was great, but it also was founded upon a foundation of other things. Uh, right. Yeah. So yeah, tons yeah. of fans that were already tied into them. And, right. Yeah. And, you know, these live streaming efforts, you know, I think everybody should have their own live stream show. It's mm -hmm. great fun. It's fun to do. It's fun to talk with people. It's fun to have fun in front of people. You just have to understand that, you know, your immediate family might be the only ones watching uh, <laughs> forever or well, for, yeah, for, I mean, at first. And, and even better, like, let, me, let me just interject and say that I think there's, there's a lot of value in, in, in getting dedicated fans more mm -hmm. ways to interact with you. And that can be well worth, worth it. But when you start getting to that professional level where you right. want to put in professional budgets into it, sure. getting professional rewards back for that investment. Yeah. There's no roadmap for that currently yeah. in this industry, right? No. If no. any. It, it, it goes back to the, you know, how do you make a small fortune role-playing games? Start with a large fortune. Yeah. That That's even more true in when you get into these sort of uh, production, streaming, making TV shows, right? Yeah. Then you're putting a small, a large fortune in to not even make a small fortune, depending on uh, what your what your business plan looks like, so... So, you know, farewell to the Gen Con TV streams. Uh, yeah, good people we, doing it. Yeah. Uh, and we wish Gen Con, obviously, success in all their efforts uh, going mm -hmm. forward because Gen Con is such a huge part of a lot of gamers, uh, you know, gaming lives. Yeah, for sure. So tell me about this uh, Three Kings Day live stream. Yeah, this was uh, organized by Lonzo Gonzo, is the uh, the handle they use, uh, who organized two live streams for January 6th, Three Kings Day, one in English and one in Spanish, gathering Latin creators to discuss their experiences. It was called Growing Up Latin. And both of these streams are really good to look at. And, and again, you know, if you speak English, you can watch the one. If you're bilingual, you can watch both. Um, with different guests in each one, looking at the challenges that you, we face in becoming established uh, as Latinx creators, understanding and accepting one's identity. Um, you know, how do you feel if you're, say, Hispanic, but you don't speak Spanish, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and so people opened up about what it's like to, to, to deal with that or how to find your community. Uh, it was a really nice series of talks. So I invite everybody to check that out. Um, we've got a link here for the Lonzo Gonzo YouTube channel and there are two videos there. They're well worth your time. Mm. You know, who has a new Patreon, Mateos? Um, no, 
you have a new Patreon, Teos. <laughs> oh, and, oh, yes. And I know because I supported it. And so You're very kind. Tell me, Teos, what am I going to get as as a patron of Alpha Stream on yeah. uh, on Patreon.com? Uh, you're going to get kind of two things. Immediately you get uh, a set of tools that I created, which is called the Adventure Monster and Encounter Design uh, Tools. It's a spreadsheet of basically whenever I create an adventure, this is what I use hmm. to calculate things, to look up things. So you get that. Uh, I think that's pretty useful. Uh, and then a copy of two products, the one that I just released, the Game Master's Guide to Evolving Magic Items, and then before the Rules for Collaborative Campaign Creation, which you can also get by joining my mailing list. Um, so you get those three things, and then you get invited to the Discord channel, where we're already having a lot of fun discussing topics about the industry. And then hopefully the second thing that's really going on with my Patreon is I'm going to be soliciting everybody's feedback for a new thing that I'm doing, which is going to be a, a, a stream show that I'll do videos called Success in RPGs. Mm -hmm. and I want to kind of share some experiences that I have and ideas I've pulled together on how to be successful in that realm, uh, as well as helping me think through various products that I'm going to be creating. So I'm trying to do that in amongst the uh, financial chaos that is having a daughter go off to college and in two years a son go off to college. Yeah. And still trying to be, you know, doing things. So, so this has been great because I, and I've been, I've been blown away. I'm already with the level of support that I have, like I'm already going, Oh, I can, I can commission that map that I was going to say no to. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are things like that already happening because of, of the support of others. So it's been really wonderful for me. And if anybody else is interested, please come on board. We'd love to have you. And that is at patreon.com slash alpha stream, where you can get all that. I'm getting all that for $3 a month. I, I'm I'm taking you for a ride here. I, I think I've got the better end of that deal. Yeah, especially when you cancel this month and then you just get the get, stuff and get everything. Like, and then, oh, I've already right, canceled. No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's smart. That's yeah. no. <laughs> I, I, I think click. I think you'll want to stay in. I mean, please. I will definitely want to stay in. I didn't mean to cry on this show. But yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know understand college bills. They can they can <laughs> cause a few tears. I, it has literally been a shock to my system. My daughter got into a very good school, and so the amount that that costs is um, mm -hmm. it's substantial. Yes, it is. It is. Mm. And invest in the cheaper whiskey. Uh, yeah. Going forward, I mean, really, have your kids learn as little as possible so they mm -hmm. can get into a very cheap school. Yeah, absolutely. School. That's my, yep. what I now realize is right. No, don't. All the, all these life lessons you learn just a hair too late. <laughs> and another lesson that we're learning is about dragons. We're learning about dragons in chapter six of Fizban's Treasury of Dragons. Still part of the Draconomicon, but this chapter six is the Bestiary. And well, so what is the bestiary? It is a great amount of stat blocks and support information about new creatures, not only true dragons, but a bunch of other types of creatures that are related to dragons. We also learn uh, in, in this part of the book why the D chapter in all any monster manual <laughs> deserves its own monster manual. Uh, devils, demons. devils, demons, dragons. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a bunch of stuff. So, because it this is divided into four parts on D and D Beyond, and it's yeah. A through C, D, E through K, and then the rest. I didn't <laughs> like, even notice that. That's really funny. Yeah, that, D, that many D's. D has its own section. 
It's like in my music collection, the S's was always huge. I, I believe it. So what we are going to do is look at each of these monsters, each of these new creations, one by one, and uh, talk about them. Talk about our thoughts, what they are, and how we might use them, and things to be aware of if you're using them in your own adventures. And let's start with the A's. Let's start with the Amethyst Dragons. We learned that Amethyst Dragons, the lore of them, has much to do, and we've talked about this, I think, on previous shows, because we sort of go through monsters in each chapter almost in a different way. So, like, we learn about the lairs of the Amethyst Dragons, but we don't really learn about the stat blocks until now, but then we get some repeat information. So it's laid out in a way I understand why it's laid out this way. Right. Uh, but it's, it's sort of interesting. It's, it's really that before they had to tell us something, because yep. otherwise it would have been really weird, but they didn't want to tell us everything. So here's the really the full everything. Uh, but it, it is, yeah, it's a little strange. So Amethyst Dragons are purple, uh, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And yes, and what what are they interested in? What's their uh, what's their deal? They are knowledge. cosmological scholars um, who like to hoard knowledge as well as hoarding planar items, not only magic items that are planar in nature, but just regular objects from different worlds. Mm-hmm. They their layers are generally underground and underwater. So they love to use underwater entrances to their uh, cavernous layers. Uh, And as you might expect, that gives them the amphibious trait in their stat block. So let's talk about their stat block. Uh, What do they do? They do things that dragons do. They claw, they bite, um, they can cast certain spells, and they have a breath weapon. And I think we pretty much see that uh, <laughs> see that theme throughout all of Dragonkind. Uh, what does the bite do? It does piercing and force damage, which is which is interesting. Yeah, interesting. Not unusual for uh, red dragons doing you know piercing and fire. Mm-hmm. So doing doing force damage a lot of times. Force damage is something that you get less uh, resistance or invulnerability to. So. In that sense, it makes Amethyst Dragons a wee bit more uh, more hardy. But one of the interesting things that you note, Teos, is something else that they lack. Which oh, is yeah. The, so they, sorry, that was a segue for me, which is, I, I exclaimed, what? Where is their frightening, pre- their frightful presence? There's no yeah. frightful presence here. Like a lot of the other dragons in the Monster Manual, they go multi-attack, Bite, claw, claw, frightful presence to stun you. And that's a big deal because that's a whole round that then the dragon gets to go again when most of the party is not going. But no, we don't get yeah. that. Yeah, and it, it is it is interesting that that presence isn't there. Uh, at higher levels, the frightened condition has less teeth, I think, because of things like the paladin's aura. Things like uh, Hero's Feast. Oh, you know, Hero's Feast is poison. What am I thinking of that? There are lots of ways for players to... Yeah, like to, the Paladin yeah, being nearby and things like that. The, the yeah. Frightened Condition isn't and that's as... right. It's a big, I'm thinking of like 4th edition and previous where it would be like you lose a turn. But this is, yeah, usually Frightful Presence is just being uh, 
frightened, which frightened. can can yeah. eat up your turn, but maybe might not if you're already right. there. And yeah, right. right. It, it, generally, what happens is you get disadvantage uh, because the thing, the item that you're frightened of is in your line of sight. So you have disadvantage on your attacks, which is generally offset by advantage in some way. Um, right. So it, it's not the it's not the harsh uh, sort of penalty that it yeah. could be. But what Which what else miss, do we get? I miss being stunned. I like I like a dragon popping out, tearing into you, breathing on you, and you don't get to do anything, and then it does more. Right. <laughs> I, I'm all for that, but yeah, I guess we live in softer, gentler times. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, the one way that it's different from other dragons is not its breath weapon, but its type of breath weapon. So what its breath weapon does is called singularity breath and and i'm going with the ancient uh dragon just yeah. uh but it, as you might come to imagine it gets lesser as you get younger dragons but it's still the same theme so what happens is the dragon summons a bead of gravitational force into its mouth which it then releases into a cone shape um for a wormling it's 15 feet for an ancient, it's 90 feet, and then it's obviously anywhere in between for adults and young dragons. If you fail your save, you take force damage again, which is a, something different, but your speed becomes zero until the start of the dragon's next turn. If you succeed on the save, it's half damage, and then your speed isn't reduced. And I thought this was, I like that. I think oh, yeah. that's, I yeah. think that's cool. Uh, because especially if you're doing it at 90 feet, you know, you, you get hit, hit the fighter with that, hit the paladin, hit the barbarian with that from a distance, and then they're not moving uh, yeah, for, the, on their turn. The other one-two punch here is that as a bonus action, it can psychic step and teleport to a space within 60 feet. Right. So even if it's got a number of people right up on it, it can freeze them. It can right. do the little freeze frame, and then it can uh, teleport. Yeah, so I like that. I, I am. I'm just going to go ahead and say right now, this whole singularity breath bead of gravitational force thing. I don't know about that, Sean. You, um, you, yeah, it's, you, you don't like the scientific angle on this. Yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes monsters can convey this kind of concept, but do so without invoking modern terminology. And so I found it interesting that they really, you know, it's like, we've seen this before where they've, you know, there've been like uh, previews of Strixhaven stuff that was like quantum, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's sort mm -hmm. of like quantum really like, yeah. Hmm, yeah. Can we do something else? You know? Yeah. I, I, I understand, totally understand that feeling. I have less of a uh, strong reaction to it. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it because coming up with cool ideas is hard and, <laughs> and, and finding ways to come up with these new ideas. Um, I, you know, I think back to that article about elementals uh, by Mackenzie de Armas, mm -hmm. where she uses like the noble gases. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and I, I thought that's cool. And I, I get that, uh, you know, you don't hear about the periodic table of elements a lot in your fantasy, <laughs> but you know, it's a very cool thing 
that uh, game mechanically it's cool and you know flavor wise it's cool, but but I do get this sort of scientific thing in in your it, fantasy. It, it conveys to me that this creature should understand these things. Mm-hmm. Which then is it says to me, well, why are you just hanging out in a, in a cave underwater when you are apparently like a particle theorist? Like, shouldn't yeah. you be inventing amazing things or something? Like, it, you know, it it almost like it's at odds with the lore. Almost, I feel like when it has that kind of yeah. a name, I don't want to believe at this point too much, but, and it's fine. But I, like, I kept reading this thing and like, oh, this is a great spelljammer creature. Right. And and I guess the question is, is that the intent? And if it isn't, then why did we lean that hard on these aspects? Yeah. Yeah, I I I'm fine with it. I I went through this when I was working on the Rust Monster for fourth mm-hmm. edition. Uh, I did the ecology of the Rust Monster and I was like, okay, I want I need to make some cool Rust Monsters. So I made one that basically worked on the the iron in your blood. <laughs> right. And and but I I didn't use any mechanical terminology for it, but I did say something in the lore like the ability of this monster to move people around using magnetism makes some of the more you know more ridiculed sages believe that there may be metal in your blood. <laughs> right. So you know, th- make the lore sort of yeah yeah mention like it, that. but in like a that. fantasy way mm-hmm. rather than than trying to be too scientific about it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm cool with that. What I'm not cool with, no, I, I, I can't say that. Uh, what I found interesting is some of the spells that were chosen mm-hmm. for the monster. Uh, at the at the ancient level, there are a lot of them. Some of them are your typical, you know, protection from good and evil, sending, those sorts of more role-playing-y, well, I mean, protection from good and evil isn't role playing, but it's not going to be powerful. It's probably not going to be used during a battle. Uh, blink. Now, there's an interesting one for a dragon. So, blink is something where, when cast at the end of the creature's turn, you roll a die. If you roll a certain number, the creature is ethereal until the start of its next turn. However, dragons have legendary actions and layer actions. So if you're blinking, can you yeah. use a legendary action? I would say no, because you could you could attempt to, but a claw, that wouldn't work. Explosive crystal, uh, it spits an amethyst that explodes. Well, it, it's a spitting in a thorough amethyst then. Um, psionics, it uses spellcasting. Well, it's it's ethereal again. Um uh, so I, I feel yeah, like that. I feel like and be affected by creatures on yeah. the ethereal plane, and your vision is sixty feet. Right. So I feel like yeah. that. I feel like that wasn't well thought out, mm-hmm. or you know, if if it had been well thought out, you would have put some legendary actions in there, put some layer actions in there for this monster, while where ethereal, they could yeah. affect things while ethereal. And then I thought, wait. At one point in some edition, force damage transferred to the ethereal plane. Yeah, uh, and I was like, "Is this fifth? Does that a fifth edition rule?" And I looked yeah. everywhere and I couldn't find it. But I would put that in because then you could do a bite. It would only do the force damage, but you could still do that. So you know, yeah. so as a DM, you know, make that rule. If if your party is 
like many parties at high levels, just totally trouncing everything you put in, in front of them, consider using that rule. Yeah. The other thing with spells is that, you know, a lot of these spells, you just, as a solo creature, which is generally what these big bosses are going to be doing, you can't spare an action to cast a spell. Right. So these things have to be either away from battle or the one you do before battle, or it doesn't require concentration and maybe you can, you know, get away with a little more. But, um, but yeah, blink is problematic because of that. But you know, global invulnerability, great. You know, if you can get that off before the battle begins, that's mm -hmm. excellent. Um, but you know, it's like freedom of movement uh, that that gets into the issue of, of global invulnerability, and and it's just you know, a lot of these spells are, are tough options to do mm -hmm. um, to really see used. And, and actually, this one's not as bad as some of the other dragons that have spells where i'm like what, what are you going to use command on something like that's not right. is yeah. that just there for role-playing reasons but if it's being calculated into its cr uh, then then i've got issues with it right and yeah and, and while we're just on this uh because i think i think it's sort of like oh, the things we're commenting are true of all of the dragons in this book and there are a lot of dragons in this book mm -hmm. so i think getting it kind of out of the way as we talk about this amethyst dragon is good. And then we can just focus on sort of the flavor and fun of the others or things that are unique to the others, because there are some things like this that are just all of the dragons have this. So all of these dragons have damage that tends to be lower than the existing dragons in the monster manual. Yep. Which is the opposite of, I would have, I would have bet money on, Oh, these are gonna be slightly tuned up because we know that, Creatures need to hit a little harder than they have in the past. You know, DMs are giving a lot of this feedback. And that maybe the, the one thing that has been hitting well in the past is generally dragons have been amongst your better creatures at hitting. And so I looked at, you know, like, okay, you know, ancient amethyst dragon, it's CR 23. What's a CR 23 monster manual? One? Oh, the silver dragon. And almost everything you look at, the silver dragon is better. Mm -hmm. Why? If it's the right. same challenge rating. Yeah. Why are we dealing less damage? Why are we removing, you know, why is the breath weapon do less damage? And, and I just, I don't sort of understand it. And I, and I would have wanted it to be the other way around. A lot of these effects that they have, like the legendary actions are okay, but they're not impressive. And I mean, this is a dragon and a CR 23 dragon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's a, since we're going to go down this road, let's, let's skip right on down this road <laughs> at high levels, right? We've already established it's hard to challenge parties, especially parties that have access to all the new rules, lots of magic items. They can basically build their own character. Uh, it's, it's hard to challenge them. Uh, even for any party though, what's the most fun is not, a monster that casts a spell that stops you from acting. It's not a monster that does something, you know, that nerfs your character in the game. That's not, it's part of the game, but it's not the fun of the game. The fun of the game is sitting there and the dragon takes its multi-attack and its legendary action. And you realize that you just took, you know, 250 points of damage in a round, but the cleric's there. So, you know, you're going to be up and you'll be okay. Uh, and so how do you do that? You increase the 
attack rolls and damage rolls that these monsters do. And, and you not necessarily give them more hit points, but give them something that helps them stay up a little longer. Mm-hmm. All the other bells and whistles can be useful, but they're useful in a way that's sort of artificial to the fun of the game, which is hitting things and being hitten, hitten, being hit, <laughs> being hit. I told you this was going to be an interesting show. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's the long way of saying what you already said, which is I want them to do more than a, a CR 23 creature to do more than 19 piercing and 13 force on a, on a bite. Yeah. Yeah, and, and on our Patreon, someone was saying, well, maybe, maybe the, because we were talking about this sort of idea of, of monster challenges, and someone was saying, maybe it's because of new players. I'm like, well, yeah, but, I was, and I thought about that. And then, and then as you're talking here, I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, but the thing is, if you're at this CR level, the players probably have some experience. Right. You would hope. And even if they don't, there are four to six of them right. players. And there's one DM, and if the DM's new, then all that tactical stuff is hard. And the one thing that will work is damage, right? right. And, and I, I always say this, like, just add damage, right? Like, there's nothing simpler than damage. Like, mm-hmm. if you're having trouble with challenging your players, increase the damage everything does. Yep. Eventually, it'll stop not being challenging. <laughs> you know right. I, mean? I guarantee you, if you hit somebody for 100 points of damage, they're going to wake up. Right. Yeah. And the third edition was sort of that way, right? Like I remember a lot of third edition fights. It was almost too much, but it was the kind of thing where monsters would have three attacks and they probably wouldn't, and sometimes four, they probably wouldn't hit you on their third attack. If they did, you went down. Right. Right. Like that's how hard they hit. And that was part of the thrilling equation of it was like, uh oh. And so sometimes, you know, you got hit that second time and you're waiting, see if that third one lands. And if it doesn't, you're like, yes. Also, I'm dead next round. Right. And that was part of the thrill, right? Was right. knowing that kind of edge of your seat that this is happening. And so things have to happen. And that's where what the wizard does, what the cleric does to tactically rearrange the battlefield. Right. You know, I got put in a force bubble a lot by my friends <laughs> on Odaluk's <laughs> resilient sphere, right? To yeah. save me. To save right? you, right. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and so that's that kind of thing that I wish, I wish these monsters had been tuned up. And instead, I think they're slightly tuned down. And, and yeah. And maybe given more tactical edge, right? Like it's like because there's a, you know, this sort of, um, the breath weapon also slows. Well, yeah, okay. But that's a tactical thing that doesn't register in the same way. Right. And I think just to fine tune the point you were making, more damage also does slow characters down because then they do have to stop and heal. And the, the cleric can't cast the buff or you know the the big boom spell because they have to go over and heal these two other characters. So, you know, yeah. more damage does also lead to increased tactical play. Right. For me, better than choosing from a laundry list of these hundred spells that right. will do the exact peak amount of damage or or take away the the turn of the monster in an exasperating way. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the the other thing that really impacts a boss fight is if there are other things to do in the encounter. And one of the things we did not see, despite all this emphasis on layers and all that kind of thing, is in encounters and draconic adventures and so on. There's not a lot on sort of what to do in that boss fight. 
And I think that would have been a critical thing that you, you know, that would have been helpful, which we saw in some prior editions, Draconomicons, because they'd set up the whole layer for you, you know, and mm-hmm. give you a real example. And the what's going on in that horde chamber right. is a big, big deal, because if there are things you must do that aren't just fight the dragon, mm-hmm. that translates to hit points the dragon gets to keep actions the dragon gets to do and dictate and so that that creates a, a different sort of tempo to the battle and, and, mm-hmm. and changes the dynamic and makes it both fun because you're doing various things and thrilling because you can't afford to just attack the dragon always yeah all right the, we've ranted and, no and just one more one more little yeah. rant onto the big rant was i thought maybe okay they're going to damp down on the um damage because they've increased like what legendary actions do or what mm, layer actions right. do, but they really didn't, uh, especially for the, the amethyst dragon, the layer action is, you know, you can maybe charm a creature, uh, so that it will do what, 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 you know, it's charmed, uh, imprison, use a force cage type spell to, uh, lock away, uh, a spatial projection. This one was weird. Uh, as a layer action the dragon chooses a space it can fit into within the layer it exists in its own space and the chosen space simultaneously whenever it moves or takes an action it chooses which version of itself is moving or acting uh but if an effect can target both creatures then the it's only affected once and and i'm thinking i'm thinking okay that that's tactically advantageous maybe but maybe tactically inadvantageous right if you're trying to stay away from creatures why put another version of yourself out there to get to more easily so yeah 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 it's a weird one yeah and you know if you're doing layer actions your cr increases by one as well so so you want it to be worthwhile Right, because like, um, and just pull up my spreadsheet here. Uh, you know, the difference between CR twenty three and twenty four is supposed to be that you're doing, you know, somewhere between another eighteen or so twenty points of damage around more for mm-hmm. that CR, and getting a whole bucket of hit points, and getting you know right. all these other various benefits, and your hit points aren't going up. And you need to be dealing that 20 points of damage around. But what if I'm doing, if what I'm doing is appearing in two spaces at once, and that actually makes more people hit me. I did not get my, uh, yeah. you know, CR by one increase worth of stuff. Force cage is pretty cool. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, that you can't do it two rounds in a row. Force cage is strong. That's, yeah. that's no joke. Um, but the charm is, you know, uncertain DC 15 wisdom saving throw. Like right. that should scale. Yep. You know, and, and so there's some interesting, yeah, there's some interesting things with those layer actions that, and even the legendary actions, right? Explosive crystal, three actions, and it's a saving throw to take 18 force damage and be knocked prone. It looks like you don't take half. So it's like 18 or nothing. Yeah. It's not a ton of damage, right? Like I want a legendary action to feel, yeah. dare I say, legendary. Legendary, yeah. And I... if it, you know, if everybody's just sort of ticking off 18 and... Do, 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 do. It's fine. Yep. Okay, eighteen. Yeah. Yep. And shall we? Shall we get the other elephant dragon in the room out of the way here? <laughs> with, with, with in terms of creating dragons, uh, 
do we really need like 72 different dragon stat blocks? Mm. Uh, obviously one for, you know, CR four dragons, one for CR 10, 11, you know, one for 19 and one for 22. I get, but you know, every dragon that we get seems pretty much the same in terms of its main stat block. It's a claw, it's a bite, it's a wing buffet and a tail for older dragons. <laughs> it's a breath weapon of some kind and that's a certain number of spells. The layer actions may be different. The um, legendary, actions, legendary actions might be a little different. But for the most part, it's like the same thing. Yeah. Just change out the the elemental damage and the elemental resistances and immunities and you're you're pretty much the same monster over and over and over again. Yeah, I and and I mean like I want to say it matters, but the reality is it doesn't. And as I was going through them trying to find, you know, what's interesting, yeah, the vast majority of the stat block is really the same with a minor adjustment for a tweak of, you know, one from the challenge rating and, yeah. and whatever, you know, sauce they did according to its constitution score or whatever, but it's it's inconsequential. It's not really yeah. worth the, the space. And I, I do think like at least we could have done here's the gem dragon core stat block yep. and then add to it sort of like a template. Here's what the amethyst dragon does yeah. beyond the bite and claw here. You know, here's its breath weapon. Here are its bonus actions and its legendary actions. Any special, you know, things it has, like it has telepathy or something like that. Great. Add that yeah. on. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, it really could just be one stat block. Yeah. So, so as, as like a DM, I, I'm like, I, I just want like one, I want a clickable spreadsheet. It's like this black box all the same. I click blue and then it puts in, you know, the seven or eight yeah. places where something changes. Uh, as a publisher that does make paper books that we want people, DMs, players to buy, I totally understand putting in, you know, a different stat block for each of the dragons and, you know, all the, the small tweaks and i completely understand the the lore section being different obviously uh it was just it was just funny because you know the the player brain my player brain's going oh do i really need to read this whole stat block again <laughs> and then the the publisher brain goes yes yes i do i need well to i always feel like one of those where you get the the two pictures side by side what's yeah. changed in these yeah, two that's what exactly. it's like looking at these dragon stat blocks right. like okay claw pretty much the same but we're adding force oh now we're adding yeah. poison okay now we're uh you know yeah what why does it really matter what's going on here yeah all right well all right. let's let's move yeah. on to animated breath now we, we're we've, gonna uh, and and i just if we sound negative right this is us just peeling apart these layers yeah. but as we go through, now we don't have to mention that stuff. You'll, you'll just know the damage is lower than we'd want it to be. There are these things. Uh, but then we can now focus actually on the stuff that really sang, I think. Yeah. Uh, animated breath. Uh, so what happens with an animated breath? Exactly what it sounds like. The dragons can breathe, and then the breath that comes out gets animated into its own creature. So... Uh, as the rules say, the animated breath is a bipedal creature made of energy from the breath weapon of the dragon. Uh, red dragons are going to create fiery animated breaths. Uh, white dragons, cold animated breaths. Mm -hmm. Rock and roll. Um, there's some neat ideas like lightning gets a bonus action where it gets to uh, teleport from one space to another. And where it arrives, it yeah. zings everybody around it. Yep. Fire has a fire aura where it burns anything uh, that, um, 
that starts its turn next to it. And also if you hit it, sort of like hitting a Remoras or one of those types of creatures, you take damage. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. And and this is almost what we were just talking about in terms of there's one stat block. Here are the things you plug in right. for the four different, well, supposedly five different kinds of dragons, uh, chromatic dragons. <laughs> Only chromatic dragons can do this. So it says chromatic form. You know, when the animated breath takes one of five forms matching the breath weapon, acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison. And then they each one, acid and poison, gets an aura of, of putrid poison. Uh, fire gets fire aura. Uh, the lightning gets that lightning burst. Uh, but cold gets nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. What did they do with the wait? No, no, nothing. No, nothing. Uh, yeah. So you might want to add. I mean, you could just as easily make the fire aura a cold aura, cold aura, or yeah. the or the lightning burst a cold burst. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a strange wino cold. I mean, I yeah. almost think they must have missed it. Like, like this is a mistake because there really should be I right. mean, just balance wise. The other thing is if you try to balance, if you look at like fire versus acid and whatever, you know, they tend to be kind of similar, except they're not like some are clearly stronger than others. Like your mm-hmm. fire and um, your fire aura, you know, you take three for being next to it, which is basically what lightning does. Mm-hmm. But the lightning requires an, an action versus being an aura. And you don't take lightning damage for hitting it, which you do take fire damage for hitting the fire version. Fire is yep. just better. Yeah. It's going to be way more damage output over time. And so so they don't quite equate across. And the last gripe I have about this is the bipedal form. Why on earth would a dragon breathe a living breath weapon that is bipedal? Yeah. Like, yay, humanoids. I made you right. a thing that looks like you. No. Right. Um, it should be a little winged creature or something, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Or just inanimate. Just be a. Right. A blob. Yeah. Right. Unless you're going to put clothes on it and send it into the market to, you know, <laughs> buy buy your lottery <laughs> tickets for the week or something. I, I don't, real boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that know. was interesting. So these are CR6 creatures. Um, so you probably won't use them for wormlings. Um, but they're a cool thing to put in a layer or outside a layer as a guard or, you know, use it in a variety of ways. It's a very nice creature um, thematically to have accompany a dragon. And uh, one of the things I thought, though, was uh, elementals are CR5, mm. and they could just as easily fit this yeah. um, so I would have liked to see a different challenge rating on that. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe bump it up to to be like something that's only around adult and ancient and make yeah. it a little higher. And then just say in the text, for, for lower level, use the methods for, mm-hmm. use a method for um, yeah. wormlings. Use a regular elemental for young and then use these for adult. But yeah, that's great. That's just, that's just me. Yeah, no, I like it. I'm, I'd like to subscribe to your fan club. All right. I agree. Let's talk about the aspects of Bahama and Tiamat. I'm going to let you do that while I take a slurp of. Yeah. So aspects are something we saw a lot of in third edition. There were a lot of these sort of aspect of this aspect of that. And the concept behind it is, you know, this is the, the, the God is projecting its image onto the world. So it's, uh, not the actual God itself. It's like a lesser version. That's a splinter of its energy. 
But what's interesting is these are CR30, which is, you know, like Tiamat. We have a CR30 stat block for Tiamat in, in Rise of Tiamat. Um, so it's like the same challenge rating, which is kind of interesting. Um, so I don't know what that means, uh, lore wise in terms of this, but, but this is the aspect that we're looking at here. Um, these are both mythic creatures and we'll see some of the other things like the great worms are also mythic creatures. And we covered this when we talked about Theros, which introduced them, but it's the idea that you fight this creature when it hits zero hit points. It gets hit points back, um, and it recharges its breath weapon, and it gets its legend, and it regains all its legendary resistance, and then it gets access to mythic actions. The mythic actions are the same thing as legendary actions. So when you do a legendary action, you can do a mythic action instead once you're in the mythic phase. Mm-hmm. So it's basically reset the monster to some hit point total that's usually not quite full. Um, and, and you're a bit stronger. What we've seen design wise is often the mythic actions aren't really that much stronger, but you know, there, there, there are more options, uh, and you get a lot more XP for slaying them because they count as sort of two creatures. Mm-hmm. Yep. Double the XP basically. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, I like this. I like it. Story-wise, I like it because when you're fighting a CR-30 creature, it should be a battle that lasts a long time. It mm-hmm. should be a knockdown, drag out. Uh, and then there should be twists along the way. So this sort of, it's for, for Bahamut, it's Platinum Brilliance. Uh, for Tiamat, it's Chromatic Wrath. But it's all the same thing. It's right there. Their mythic uh, nature kicks in. And so you think you've won, but you haven't. And it's, it's sad to me that players will know about this. And we're, you know, we're, we're spreading the, the spoilers here. Uh, But, you know, I, I, I want that. I want there to be this huge cheer, this huge, you know, energy surge from the players. Like, yes, we did it. And then, Oh, because that's that's where the drama, right? That's where the yeah. the feeling comes in when it just gets back up and it looks even stronger than it was when you started, and it's hitting harder than it did when it started, you know. And that's that's what I want to see. So yeah, totally. Cool. No, I agree, and cool it's a really that. neat cinematic thing. Um, one thing I noted: they get legendary resistance five times per day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anything else has gone that high before. I, not not in not in D and D publications. Yeah, uh, so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, we'll see some four times per day for the great worms. Yeah, um, the uh, Bahamut has two breath weapons. One of which heals and restores to life any dead creatures that Bahamut chooses. Yeah, and I thought that's a neat thing that sort of fits what would happen, what Bahamut would be able to do. Yeah. And that you could theoretically use, like if you're, you know, fighting Tiamat and maybe Bahamut, you know, swoops in and breathes and then leaves, right? Right. Could be a kind of neat thing as it goes off to then battle other creatures, right? And so so it has that sort of utility to it that can be a story angle, an interesting angle. And of course, if you're just fighting it, well, it can use its platinum breath. Though, again, CR 30, man, 66 points of damage for breath weapon. Now, it is a 300-foot cone, which I greatly appreciate because that's enormous. Yeah. But um, but sixty six damage at the end of the game just feels like it should be higher. 
Yeah. Um, but but it's fine. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's that same problem. And you know, we talked about this on probably many shows over the years, but the challenge that one high level party brings is going to be so different from a different high level party depending on the experience and the rules that the players are using and the amount of say that they get when choosing their magic items, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, CR 30 monsters, you could tell me it's too hard. You could tell me it's too easy and you'd be right. Uh, on both ends of the scale, depending <laughs> on the party that's facing it. So, yeah. But then, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Like the mythic actions are celestial shield for two actions. You get 77 temporary hit points, which is, conveyed by spectral ancient gold dragons that are circling around Bahamut. Mm-hmm. 77 temporary hit points don't tend to last long at this kind of level, yeah. but, but it's there. Good right. flavor. Celestial lances, three actions. Um, everybody makes a death, uh, a dexterity saving throw uh, in four different targets, and you take 20, 24 force damage. Um uh, they they are twenty foot radius things, so you could hit a lot of the party with them because there are these giant lances that are coming down from the sky. Yeah. So you're probably getting most of the party with these. Yeah. Um, for twenty four force damage, so that's that's you know a nice addition. Yep. Yeah, it's it's Tiamat. Like, yeah. Tiamat is interesting, right? Like, and I mean, Bahamut had old stat blocks too, but I think it wasn't something that was as paid attention to but tiamat is, is especially interesting because the the monster is operated in different ways across the editions mm-hmm. because it's not like like bahamut's sort of a big cool dragon with a neat story and it's just you know it's the god mm-hmm. but tiamat is a five-headed dragon right so one of the things we think of is well isn't it chomping me with all five heads right and can't it just breathe with five heads and different editions have had different ways of handling it like in ad and d you had five bites and you had five breath weapons that you could take turns using, and you could only do each of them once per day. Right. Was the way that worked. Yeah. Uh, but that was really powerful back then. Five breath weapons was mm-hmm. good night. That was yeah. rough. And yeah. I fought Tiamat in AD&D. It was, it was no joke. Um, but this um, has, you know, a bite attack, a claw attack, and a tail attack. Like mm-hmm. any other. Like dragon. every other dragon. <laughs> right. Uh, it does have, you know, uh, legendary actions where it can, you know, bite and stuff, but but that's not much. And in fact, Tiamat in Rise of Tiamat has different legendary action blocks for each of the heads, which I thought was really cool. Right. Um, to to kind of invoke that. So so in some ways, I, I'm sort of surprised at, at at the way this was created. Um, and the breath weapon is sort of a choice of weapons and it's just recharging on a five to six. So, uh, okay. You know, it's interesting, but, um, yeah, generally I'm more on the side of let's simplify things, hmm. but with a CR 30 creature, go, go for it, make, <laughs> make it, make it complicated. I'm, I'm down with that. I mean, I'm already tracking legendary actions, mythic actions, layer actions, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, regional effects. I'm cool with having a little bit more uh, to keep track of in terms of heads, right? When I read multi-attack, the first thing, that's the first thing I thought, give me five bite attacks. Don't, don't even bother with the claw or the tail. Just give me five bite attacks. And yeah, yeah. 
another thing that I would love to see is I, I don't know if I've seen it at all. If so, very infrequently is multi-attack. If blank number of attacks hit, these extra mm-hmm. things happen. Like the troll rend. Right. Famous in third edition. Right. And that that's something that the complexity that it adds is very small, mm-hmm. but it adds a couple of different things. It adds the ability for DMs to tailor combats to their party strength more easily. Right. I get three, I get five bite attacks with the head. I could bite five different creatures mm-hmm. if I wanted. I could bite the same creature five times if I wanted. Yeah. And if, especially if there was extra effects, uh, then I could really tactically say, I want to focus on this creature because her or his or their character is the most problematic. So I'm willing to take care of that first. Then mm-hmm. I'll do move on to here. You know, it gives me that flexibility to stay within the stat block, but tailor the combat to the party right. I'm I'm dealing with. Yeah, yeah, it's really true, and 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 I think I can. When you say that, I have all these flashbacks of different adventures in previous editions where I would deliberately do that. Like I might concentrate fire because actually that's the weakest thing to do, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to help the party regain their footing. Or right. I might spread the attacks because that's the weakest thing to do. Right. And that helps the party get back and have a chance at, at victory. And, right. and so you do those kind of tactical links, just very minor thing that would have yeah. a big play because the stat block let you do that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yep. So that is, uh, that is well, my, my thought. Yeah. And I just two quick things here about Tiamat. Uh, one is the mythic actions. We have Hurl Through Avernus, <laughs> very flavorful. Yep. For two actions, you take a creature that she's grappling, Charisma Saving Throw, or you take 44 Psychic Damage, and you're banished to Avernus, the first layer of the Nine Hells. At the start of your next turn, you reappear. So it's damage, and you're possibly losing your turn. So that, that's great. Love that one. Yep. Big fan. Uh, and superb flavor. I mean, just that's the kind of thing the DM's just dying to get off, right? Like, great stuff. Yep. And then there's a uh, elemental sort of burst of energy, chromatic flare that does uh, damage of a type chosen by Tiamat uh, in an area. That's okay. That's for three actions. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say is is that comparing this to the rise of Tiamat form, it's very comparable. And I'm I'm sort of like, why is the aspect of Tiamat? And maybe the idea is that the one that we saw in Rise of Tiamat she was is, an aspect kind of an aspect yeah, yeah like yeah. like an aspect particular that summoning i guess is the the concept but but yet different and i'm like I, but it's not that different i don't know i'm fast i'd love to see the footage of the discussion that wizards designers were having of do we just use the same step on do we make it different <laughs> why why is it different you know yeah and we ended up here right yep excellent well we have a lot of monsters to get through so we will c- tackle some more of them next time uh, anything else to say before we head off into the wild blue yonder here? I do really like monsters. <laughs> Mon- monsters are fun. Monsters, when you are mostly the DM, you know, monsters are your characters. So while you don't get as attached to them as you would to a regular character, you do like to have fun with them and, and have them be cool. Yeah, for sure. No, it's great stuff. And, and, and I do, I love looking at monsters and, and designing them too. It's really fun, though it, it takes a long time. Yes. 
So with that, I want to thank everyone for listening and thank you to our patrons for helping us out. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash MMP. Teos, where can people find you other than at your Patreon at patreon.com slash alphastream? Well, you can find me at alphastream.org, on Twitter at alphastream, and I also have a Kofi page because they now do subscriptions too, so it's just like ah. Patreon. So they give creators 100% of what people subscribe for, which is kind of amazing. Wow. And then they, then they give you pop-ups that say, do you want to give us some money? And you can say yes or no. Excellent. And what, where's, that, where, where's that Kofi? Uh... Oh, uh, that is also Kofi slash AlphaStream. Excellent. It's, it's ko-fi.com. Excellent. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. Uh, or you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Mastering D&D. Mastering Dungeons is a misdirected Mark production. So, Teos, now that we have gotten our first glimpse into some of the magical, mystical creatures uh, that haunt the Draconic realms, what are we going to do now? Well, you have a magical mystery tour. Uh, we're going to transform into dragon, and we're going to bite... Claw, claw, wing buffet, wing buffet, tail slap. N- not in fifth edition. That's third edition. <laughs> but I want to. I know. I know.